0: Tuesday morning, folks. Today is October 25th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning in. Hey, if this is your first time joining us, welcome. And for those of you who are coming back for more, I'm blessed you're here, as always. Be sure to tell your friends and your family that they, too, can be a part of Thy Strong Word by listening over the air on AM 850 in St. Louis, online at kfuo.org, or through any podcasting app. And as always, Thy Strong Word is brought to you by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Learn more about their translating and publishing work at lhfmissions.org. Hey, and while you're online, don't forget to send me your questions and comments to pastorboo at gmail.com. I love hearing from you because you too are a part of the conversation. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. Well, our text for this morning is Daniel chapter 8. Two years have passed since Daniel's vision in our last chapter, whereas in the previous vision, each of the four beasts represented Babylon and Medo Persia and Greece and Rome, respectively. Now the vision is just of two animals a ram, and a goat. Well, thankfully, the interpretation of the vision is given to Daniel by the angel Gabriel. The ram is medo the goat is Greece, and 200 years before Alexander the Great's conquests, 350 years before Antiochus IV's persecutions, Daniel sees it all. So does this vision give us comfort or concern for the future? Well, to help us figure out is one of our regular guests, the Reverend John Lukomsky, Pastor Emeritus and co-host of Wrestling with the Basics. That's on KFUO Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. But this morning, he's back with us, Pastor Lukomsky. Good morning. Welcome back to the show.
1: Good, good, good morning, Phil. I, I got a question for you. Is, is Wilbur, no, no, not Wilbur, uh, Waldorf. Is Waldorf, Minnesota, any, anywhere close to Laverne, Minnesota? I don't know but I bet I could find out before the break why. Oh well, I've t- I preached down in Waldorf, little little rural parish down there and I know it's heading your way cuz you're kind of in the uh the south uh west corner of the state, aren't you? Yeah, we are in the southwest corner, uh right
0: on the border. So Waldorf's oh, okay. a little bit south of uh, uh oh, sorry, a little bit south of Mankato, and if you take A 90 yeah. it's going to be about 2 hours and 16 minutes. So it's 146.6 miles away.
1: So I'd still have a long way to go. I thought maybe I was getting close to your neighborhood, but it's still a long oh, trip. Oh, well. One yeah. of these
0: days, hopefully our paths will cross for sure. <laughs> hey, now well. now on you you are on wrestling with the basics uh, with Pastor Clark and you guys have been looking at selected passages from Revelation, isn't that right?
1: well well actually pastor clark he's taken a little hiatus because he's finishing oh. up the same thing you've got he's he's finishing up his doctor of ministry uh mm-hmm. so yeah actually my uh um uh stepson tim shakel Who's also a, a Lutheran pastor, and he Revelation is like his thing. He he's just uh, done a lot of studies. So yeah. So thank you for plugging that. So if anyone's interested in uh, hearing some new insights about Revelation, uh, please uh, join us on Wrestling with the Basics. So thanks for the yeah, plug. They're, I appreciate that. If they're,
0: well, if they're tuning into Daniel, you know, there's some kindred spirits there. Oh, so that's I that's they true. Would de- they would definitely find that interesting for sure.
1: And and that's the one thing that Tim does a really good job of seeing all the connections between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You know, it's just it's kind of it it takes the whole Bible and just summarizes it. Uh, In fact, the thing that I had never realized before is how many connections there are right away with Genesis 1, 2 and 3. Uh, But anyway, yeah, thank you for uh, letting us uh, talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. Well, why don't we get into our text
0: today, but as always, we should bathe ourselves with prayer for the Lord, so if you would
1: please uh, lead us in that. So Lord, the the, the fact of the matter is, anytime we open up your scripture, uh, we have to have your Holy Spirit, because we are just totally incapable of understanding anything apart from the gift that you give us through the Holy Spirit. But I think particularly when we read books like Daniel, which are filled with all these strange and peculiar imagery, uh, that we, we we need your help. And maybe that's the purpose of all this, is to remind us that there is no understanding apart from what you give. So do that, O Lord. Help us to to see this text, which in many ways doesn't even apply to us, and yet has so many applications to us. Well, O Lord, quit. I, I'll... I'll Yes, just do what you need to do, Lord, so that this will be a helpful Bible study for, for us and for all of our listeners. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Well, anything—so the text is basically broken into two big sections, right? He has his vision yep. of the ram and the goat, and then he has the interpretation revealed to him by the angel Gabriel. Uh, anything you want to lay out there for everybody to know before we read? Because I think I'm just going to read it in those two big sections, starting with the first.
1: Well, well. So, so here's the thing. I think that's it's neat about this text and, and about the scripture. Uh, uh, this is pro- this is not the most important Bible passage you'll ever read. There's probably a well. In fact, we're getting ready to celebrate Reformation, and, and as I was waiting for the show to start, I was reading what is it? Romans three nineteen through twenty eight. That's the epistle appointed for this week. And that's really, really, you really need to read that. If you haven't read that, you should read that because it's all about how the law shows our sin and how there is no faith, uh, justification rather than than by faith, not by works. Uh, um, And and in, in one way, this chapter has nothing to do with us. It's a prophecy about things that happened a long, long time ago. In fact, what's ironic is when Daniel wrote this down, it had nothing to do with those people at that time either. In fact, the text will conclude with God saying, now wrap this up, seal up this, this vision, because right now it's not going to be so helpful, but it'll be really, really helpful in the future. And yet... And yet we need to read this, remembering that the God who's doing the stuff in this chapter, even though it's not the stuff he's doing now, and it's stuff he did a long time ago, but it's still the same God. And so whatever pattern is going on in this chapter is the same pattern that we should be able to see. Well, not only we should, we can. Uh, in our lives today. So that'd be the only preliminary comment that I would make, because as you already alluded, oh, this is about Alexander the Great, and it's about Antiochus Epiphanes. Those guys, that's that's years ago. That's old stuff. But it's still about the kind of things that God's doing in our life today. So,
0: Absolutely. We see God is the one who's in charge. And so uh, he is in control, even of these rulers, the rulers that, as you pointed out, yeah Daniel's not going to see with his own eyes. The people in his contemporary era is not going to be able to experience. It will matter a lot in a couple hundred years from his point. and but, yeah, at the same time, it tells us something about God's nature to to uh, control history for the benefit of those who look to him and love him. How even he even uses wicked earthly rulers to be able to guard his people and move along, uh, in this case, salvation history. And we also see that even in the actions of, of Antiochus, the little horn, which is going to be described later, um, it connects to that little horn we've already heard about in chapter 7, which focuses on the Antichrist. And so they're even, even though they're not identical, they're still—it's it's, it's a type. You talked about type one of our first times together. It's a type of the Antichrist to come. So there's still lots of great connections, and what I really like about this chapter, and I, you know, whether or not it's the most important chapter you'll ever read, what I really like about it is that because of the time period in which Dave, or how we say this – but in which Daniel is writing these prophecies, receiving these messages, he is able – and we shouldn't be surprised, but we are – so accurately to predict future events hundreds of years ahead of time, so accurate, in fact – people who are critical of this book want this writing much 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 later because they say there's no way he could have predicted these things but all it does for those who have faith in christ and and therefore believe the bible is to affirm and confirm that god is really active uh, in word here and i just think that's amazing to be able to make these such such clear connections
1: so, so so the two things, I, I, you yeah, know, I guess the main theme is that God is in control. You're, you're absolutely right. Uh, and in fact, it'll be kind of interesting to see how God controls things, because I think that's the problem. I don't think we really understand how God controls things. And we'll see some really cool illustrations of that. Uh, I, and then the other thing is, too, that, that the word of God is true. It's absolutely true. Uh, And and that provides a tremendous comfort for us then when we find ourselves turmoil and trials. And, and, and on one sense we could say, well, of course, we're in turmoil and trials. That's what the Word of God said, right? Jesus said, take up your cross. Why are we constantly surprised when something goes wrong in our lives? We shouldn't be surprised at all. We should say, well, that's what the Word of God said. But then, of course, again, the other thing the Word of God says, and we'll see again illustrated in this text, is that God takes care of that. He's still in control, even when things don't go right for us when there are trials and things. So you're absolutely right. This is just full of great faith-strengthening things. Uh, especially, like you said, as a reminder that, that you no know, God's word is true. If he says it, there's no doubt about it. That's a, absolutely what's going to happen. And, and you know what? You can doubt it if you want, but it'll still be what he <laughs> that's, said. It's still true. I, not good to doubt it. I'm not saying you should, but I, that's how powerful his word is. And, and, and by the way, it's funny when you said about the people thinking that this had to be written later, because that was my same thought. It is just so accurate. That well, that he, God couldn't possibly be a prediction, and yet on the other hand, you know, people read Nostradamus and all these other things, that, or, or they they get the Bible. <laughs> what is it? The the the, the Bible code, and the Bible they, oh, code. yeah, yeah, it's so silly. You're so willing to accept all of this ridiculous stuff and, and twist things and force things to make them work about predictions, and then God comes and says, "Well, here's what's going to happen." And, and oh well, that can't be. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. <laughs> right, I, I'm ready. Wherever you are, thank you. Yeah, Phil. no,
0: I love it because you're you're so right. I I'm drawn to things like you know this Nostradamus stuff and Bible code because you know ancient aliens because I just have this weird mindset. Obviously, I look at these things as the fiction they are. But what what it what's intriguing about those things, as you pointed out, is that people. People love to take this esoteric stuff and twist it and give it all sorts of accommodations to make it work. And then when God, as you said, is super clear and you can look back and you can go, look how powerful the word of God is. People go, wow, that must not be true. Well, yeah, let's yeah, let's yeah. listen to this word. 27 verses in the entire chapter. We're going to read the first 14. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first. And I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was Susa the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was at Uli Canal. And I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. And I saw the ram charging westward and northward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. As I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. And he came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him, and there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power." Then the goat became exceedingly great. But when he was strong, the great horn was broken, and instead of it there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. It was great even to the host of heaven, and some of the host and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great, even as great as the prince of the host, and the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And a host will be given over to it, together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression, and it will throw truth to the ground, and it will act and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, the giving over of the sanctuary, and the host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, For 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. All right, thus endeth our text. Uh, For those of you listening at home, it might be good to crack open a Bible for this one. There's just so much detail packed in here. And I know I read it all and fairly fast, but we're going to take it section by section. So brother, we're now a couple years later and Belshazzar is still king.
1: And and I think, see, it's really important that it starts out that in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar. Uh, So we know right away this isn't, uh, the vision is not to be some kind of fictional thing, uh, uh, not some kind of uh, uh, weird drug dream or whatever, Uh, but we're we're grounded in history. Everything that's being talked about here is historical, and so we expect that the vision will also address real uh, things. uh, And and of course they do, as we see when we get to the second chapter of, Uh, Of the uh, uh, vision Um, or the second part of the chapter I'm sorry Um, and and of course the thing is it's it's all about power isn't it? It's all about power Uh, the the symbol that's used over and over again is the symbol of the horn and for people that are out there reading their Bibles uh, whenever you see the image of the horn that is an image of somebody that's really worldly, worldly power right? Well it could be spiritual power too I, I didn't think about that um, but, but anyway, that's the uh, image. And, and so we start then with a very powerful beast that has two horns. Uh, we don't, do you want to talk about, do you want to save who these people are until the second half, right, Phil? Or well, how do you want to you. handle that?
0: It's up to you. We might have uh, to well, cover it a couple of times really to kind of get across, okay. get it across. So it doesn't matter. Well,
1: well, at, at this point, we I won't define it. If it, if it comes out, it comes out. But, but the, we'll the point the is secret. you've had this really, really powerful Worldly power that it's so powerful that no one thinks they could ever overcome it. In fact, it's two horns powerful That's how powerful it is and yet well apparently it isn't all that powerful because there comes another beast with another horn with a single horn and he comes and he Overwhelms this two horn ram and now this goat is so powerful that we think well this can't be overcome either Uh, and, and I think the point that, that we should learn from this is we see this, don't we? We see these powerful entities out there, these these worldly powers. And if you read your history books, man, it seemed like no one would ever be able to prevail over Hitler. My gosh, that he had such a a, a military base and he was just running over everybody. And, and if you were a betting man, you'd say, well, I guess Hitler will rule the world someday. And then, of course, what happens is another power rises. And all of a sudden, that first power wasn't as powerful as we thought. Uh, it's been replaced by yet another powerful force. You know, the Allied force has now become the great and powerful uh, uh, force in in the world. And and I think we need to remember that. So when we see these worldly powers that seem so overwhelming, no, no, they're they're all temporary. They're only here for a time. Some other great world power will rise up. Man, you just see it all. Over and over again, the Roman Empire again. Who could get more powerful than the Roman Empire? Well, I don't know any people that are part of the Roman Empire anymore. Do you feel that that's long gone? <laughs> no, they, they've been unseated. And of course, personally, I think at this point, this is kind of a call of repentance to us because mm-hmm. you know, right now, we're in the most powerful nation in the world, we're in the United States, no one's as powerful as we are. And I'm thinking, well, that's true, it's a blessing that God has given us. But I wouldn't get cocky about that. <laughs> there's a
0: there's a great book, by the way, called "Are We Rome" by Holland oh. Murphy. And his but who is the author again, Phil? Colin sorry, Murphy. Keep... Colin, yeah, Murphy. C U L L E N Murphy. All right. Yeah, and his pre- it's back in 07, but his premise is that you know the the American Empire, so to speak, is not only modeled after a lot of uh, Roman understanding. But the things we do are following in the pattern and template of Rome. And if that's so, then we should, uh, in, in religious terms, as you put it, we should be very repentant and seeking, seeking the Lord to guide and guard us uh, from his point of view, which is not necessarily religious, it's political, is one that, you know, um, we should be careful because Rome did not last forever, as, as we point out. I got in trouble once in a group of very faithful and I assume patriotic Christians, when I mentioned in passing trying to contrast the eternal kingdom of God with worldly kingdoms, just as we're doing now, that I dared mention that America, or the way we understand the United States, may not be here forever. And that was like a grave sin against, (laughs) I guess, the civic religion of the world. But it's not saying that we want that to happen. It's just saying not only could it, but it probably will given enough time because worldly powers shift. Where is uh, the Rome, as you say? Where is Alexander the Great? Where is Xerxes? Where are all, where are the pharaohs? You know, so we just have to recognize that the only eternal kingdom, the only one we can rely on,
1: is God's. And, and so, so let's let's take this a step further and and think about what's happened in our country, because what what's neat about this story is, is first of all, we have this great powerful entity, and it's it's overcome by another powerful entity. And in fact, this this next entity seems so powerful that no one can ever possible over. There's no one that could compete with it. It's just that strong, that powerful. But what happens to that entity? It it, it internally divides. It doesn't have to have an external power to overcome it, but but itself breaks into four different parts. And all of a sudden, it's not the same power it was before. And, and, and see, that's that's God's illustration. So maybe maybe we are the most powerful nation in the world. Maybe there maybe no one really can compete with us. We don't have to worry about Russia or China or anybody. No one will ever be as powerful as we are. But then, what happens if we become divided within ourselves? Mm. And, and you know, we've done that already. I, yeah. you, you you and I didn't live through the Civil War. <laughs> I'm a pretty old guy, but no. right? I'm not that old. But, but I don't think we understand how that impacted our nation and how, how close we came to absolutely losing everything we had when, when North are fighting the South. And and now you look around, Phil, and, and all of a sudden these divisions are coming up. And, and, and maybe that's what will be our downfall. It won't be that there'll be somebody greater than us, but we'll defeat ourselves because we, we can no longer could be a, a unity, no longer one. Uh, which was, of course, Lincoln's big deal, that we have to be one. Um, So it's just an illustration that, as you said, don't put your hope in any worldly power. (laughs) Now, okay. for
0: clarification, just for clarification, yep. you, when you say the Civil War, you do mean the War of Northern Aggression, correct?
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Being from the South, I actually do know people who are still fighting the Civil War. So,
1: <laughs> Of course. You're in Minnesota now. You can't talk that way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, actually, when I was in Connecticut for a while, um, I, you know— I was uh, pleased to finally get to study and experience a little bit of re- uh, revolutionary war history as opposed to the civil war history, which yeah. permeates my home in the South. But no, I don't want to detract from your point. You know, This internal division is also just what uh, Jesus you know, points us to, in ter- and Paul and others, in terms of the unity of the church. So while God's kingdom will certainly last forever, Christ's church will last forever, Our individual congregations and the ways we organize ourselves can also be usurped by internal strife and division, you know? And so this was very much Paul, and of course, the Holy Spirit inspired him to be concerned about these things. So we can look at this within our family, right? We don't want to be divided within our congregations, and of course, within our country. We should be proud of of the blessings that God gives us through our country, but that division is not healthy for any of these relationships.
1: And and and, and uh, just two thoughts that crossed my mind. It was interesting you mentioned the Revolutionary War because there's another perfect example. The greatest mm-hmm. power, Britain, and this little teeny tiny handful of colonies defeats them. Um, and, and the other thing about the church, because at one point the Roman Catholic Church was the most powerful church in the world, and now this weekend we're going to celebrate the Reformation. And the same thing. There was no outside force. It wasn't the Muslims that destroyed the Roman Catholic Church, but it destroyed itself because it did not stay consistent with the word of God, and therefore it broke up into any number of of sects and divisions. And 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 it occurs to me, so there's the point, there's only one thing that will never be broken up, only one thing that will never be destroyed, only one thing that will last forever, and that is the forgiveness of sins we have in Jesus Christ, that faith in our Lord Christ. And, and so that's why it was good for you to talk about the spiritual kingdom and the fact that, yes, the United States probably at some point will come to an end, not in our lifetime, I hope, uh, and certainly don't want that, uh-huh. But, but in this world, there's only one thing you can rely on, and that's the love of God and Jesus Christ. Everything else, no matter how strong and how permanent and how powerful it may appear to you, no, everything else will all come to an end.
0: So we're going to get into some of the interpretation and identifications after the break. But yeah, we have here a ram, and we have a goat, a male goat. So the ram has the two giant horns, but one is longer, and they're and they're of course they're both long, which signifies the the power as we've been talking about of the of this you know uh, worldly power. Then the the ram comes and has the one unified horn in its forehead, but then it becomes four separate horns, and then a little one, a lot of confusing stuff, and the whole section ends with with something about the burnt offerings being taken away, the sanctuary being overthrown, and then a number. And we always love it when we come to numbers in Daniel, because we get to be dangerous and, and sinfully try to calculate the <laughs> ends of times and other crazy things. But we still have the numbers for a reason, so it does kind of make you wonder. He says 2,300 evenings and mornings. There are certainly some interpretations to all that. Um, but because we want to lay that out with more time after the break, but we still have a few minutes. You know, what else can we make sure that people are prepared for to think about before we uh, take a few moments?
1: All right, so, so here in our remaining time, we, we have the one, but that's defeated by yet another. And yet this powerful force now is divided up into four smaller powers. So so the, the end of worldly power can come from an outside source. It can come from the own the, the, you know the the Civil War, the divisions within, but what's interesting about the end of the vision now we we get there from verse nine to fourteen is now all of a sudden the worldly power is actually attacking God himself, the prince of the hosts, and in fact seems to be succeeding because he brings to an end the regular burnt offerings. In other words, the, the, the things that were going on that, that showed the faithfulness and the worship of God, this worldly power seems to be prevailing against God himself and God's church. And, and of course, That might be something we could apply to our day, because it certainly seems like the forces of the world, which uh, when I started out in the ministry, seemed to be pretty much A-OK with Christianity. Thumbs up. If I would go someplace and wear my collar, I I might get a free glass of wine even. I remember once I was at a wedding reception, and and, uh, they thought I was a priest, but would you like another glass of wine, Father? But I don't know, I, now sometimes I wear my collar, people shout insults at me. Uh, so what's <laughs> that mean? The fact that now these great worldly powers are turning against God himself, how is that all going to work out? So that will be something we'll have to talk about when we come back from the break. Um, yes. Anything? Yeah, go ahead, Phil.
0: Well, I'm just going to say, you know, we we in America historically have enjoyed, a, Christians that is, have enjoyed a, a great deal. Of uh, comfort and respect and and a position even of authority that has all been taken away. If we zoom out a little bit and look at the world, though, there are certainly places where Christians, even since the time of Christ, have not been respected or enjoyed the favor that we have in America. So there are some people like around the world who will look at us and go, "Oh well, you know, you're just late to the party." <laughs> you know, yeah. In the <laughs> '40s, '50s, '60s, Christians were great. You. You know in the 50s you throw up a throw open a church and you can't help but fill it and then in the 80s and 90s 70s like i should say 70s 80s and 90s everybody's desperately trying all these things to try to fill their churches again because they have an unrealistic view of how people should respond to the gospel Um, they think that we should just do what we did in the 50s and 60s well we have to do something to get people in and we fell into these attraction models and everything else when the bible's revelation is a more about facing persecution, facing uh, uh, disfavor with with governing authorities, uh, facing struggles, and, and through those struggles, needing to rely on Jesus. So we are going to take a break, though. Let's do that. In the few minutes when we return, Pastor Lekomsky and I will identify and, uh, through the Gabriel, Gabriel, interpret this vision. See you on the other side. strong word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend John Lekomski, Pastor Emeritus and co-host of Wrestling with the Basics on KFUO. Okay, Pastor Lekomski, we're back. It's time to let people off the hook and see if we can uh, put some identities to some of these or this this animal the little uh, the little horns and all this kind of stuff. You know, we're we're piling up with symbolism. I have so many in front of me. We want to make sure we get those out there. Um, shall i read the rest of the chapter first because obviously gabriel is going to give us some hints
1: well, just one quick comment uh, about the 2,300 evenings and mornings that we, as we left. Uh, again, like I said, we, we don't know exactly what that is. It figures out to be about seven years, which itself is a, a symbolic number, isn't it? Seven comes up all the time. Uh, and the only comment I wanted to make about that time frame is I do think it's a reminder that that wherever there is persecution, wherever it seems like the powers of the world are prevailing over the powers of God, that's only for a short time. Okay. In fact, that's language is in the book of Revelation too. You know, it's about it's a short period of time. Uh, so the the point is in, in the end, God always gets his way. In fact, the irony is is what we thought was, was the undoing is actually God at work in that too. And I would give you the classic example, of course, of Jesus Christ, how the disciples must have thought, well, this is a total failure. This man that we followed for three years now has been crucified. He's dead, buried, and gone. It's all over with, done. Uh, well, what will we do now? And, of course, no, it was a very short period of time, then three days, and all of a sudden they realize, no, this was all God's plan, uh, and and he's done what he needs to do. Uh, now I'm sorry, Phil, because now you've got my mind rambling uh, going back. Well, that's to the perse- okay,
0: Well, we'll come back to the evenings and mornings, because I think once we sort of understand who it is, we might have uh, some hints about it. Yeah, because it is. It's six years and four months um, in terms of its timing. So it's less than seven, which could be associated with the fact that if seven is this sort of number of completeness, then it being less than seven could indicate uh, that it's not going to be a complete or eternal destruction of of the sanctuary or the offerings, but rather it will not last as long. Um, I think it also relates to the evening and morning sacrifice. I think that certainly could be something you could make those connections to. A lot of ink has been spilled on these things since it is talking about sacrifices. And those uh, six years and four months uh, kind of match up uh, some almost exactly, and then it depends on how you calculate it, to the to the time period that we see in uh, First Maccabees of the uh, persecution of the temple by the one whom most scholars agree this is pointing to. So we'll, we'll get back to it, I think. But let's, let's get into uh, verse 15 through the rest of the chapter. 27. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man, and I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Ulai, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came I was frightened, and I fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me, and made me stand up, and he said, Behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia, and the goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn between his eyes is the first king. As for the horn that was broken, in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. And he shall cause fearful destruction, and shall succeed in what he does, and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and in his own mind he shall become great. Without warning he shall destroy many. And he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, and he shall be broken, but by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true, but seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. The angel Gabriel, first time, by the way, a Gabriel has been named in, I'm sorry, an angel has been named in the scriptures. It Here is Gabriel. He lets us off the hook that the two horns are the two kings of the Meadow Persian Empire and that the goat is the king of Greece.
1: Which of course would be Alexander the Great then. Yep. Yeah. And and all of course is this exactly what happens. That at the time period, you know, the Medes and the Persians are the great and the powerful ones. And again, who thought that they could be prevailed over? But but uh, and it's also interesting if you go back to the picture of that that uh, goat. He, he 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 comes quickly. Uh, I, I mean, he, he, I can't remember the 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 words, but he, his feet don't even touch the ground. Yeah, and that's like uh, And, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, he all of a sudden out of nowhere, here comes this alexander who no one thought of anything about the Greeks. They do thought Alexander the Great, and all of a sudden he's just conquering everything, and 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 you know everything's under his. Uh, force and control now only though then he ends up getting divided up into four different sections and, and the one that's of most interesting interest to us of course is the fourth one which as you said was antiochus epiphanes one of his generals who took over uh that that, that southern area the area where israel's out and, and of course we have all this business about the uh, offerings because that's literally what he did he came in and mm-hmm. turned into the temple uh, temple of zeus and he He uh, sacrificed pigs, which, of course, were unclean animals and uh, martyred people. In fact, made it illegal to do anything that was to do with the Jewish religion. And boy, it would really seem at some point that, well, I guess that's the end of it. (laughs) It's it's done. Uh, There'll be no more Old Testament. uh, But of course, you and I know now that that's not what happened.
0: Uh, Yeah, we you know, and. it's just fascinating to connect these things to history and for those who are real history buffs you will either know or be interested to hear that we have alexander the great this warrior king which is exactly as he's portrayed in daniel he comes in he swiftly he takes over and as pastor lakomsky has been saying yeah it just looks like that's it i mean he's they don't call him the great for nothing this guy is powerful and in charge and nobody does defeat him right it's not like You know, he took on the wrong enemy and he got he got whooped. You know, he uh, he died. He died in battle. uh, Well, on his way home from battle. And he had no male successors. Right. So we have, you know, he has on Alexander and um, Heracles and they were murdered, too. Um, And so it took about two decades or so for what it's worth. So it's not exactly, you know, just the next day, you know, four people took over. But over the course of a few decades, the empire ended up being divided internally amongst four generals, and and so I I dare not say their names because it's I just I'm terrible at names right. But we have um, Lysim- Lysimachus, a Seleucus, uh, then we have Ptolemy who ruled Egypt, um, and then of course we have um, uh, the the one that's we're focusing on. So there's this there's this emphasis on this internal breaking up but one becomes a real bad guy um antiochus uh and that's how i pronounce it we were pronouncing it different ways i can i know i'm sure you're right and i'm wrong
1: (laughs) no no i see that's the thing what i've learned about the pronunciation of names it's however you pronounce it
0: (laughs) yeah as as long as you say it with confidence that's what i usually tell people (laughs) that's right that's Um,
1: exactly the, the thing yeah
0: but in any case we have um we have this guy uh he's the he's the third so there's a few before him but um antiochus the third and then he adds to his own name epiphanes epiphanes meaning basically you know the the one to whom things are revealed the, he's the guy he's a god king which isn't unusual for these pagan kings to do stuff like this but from the jews point of view yeah that's how he's acting right he sets up altars he sacrifices uh, unclean animals in the temple and The little horn is what is foreshadowing, right? The little horn in Daniel 8 is talking about him. But the reason he uses the little horn as a descriptor is not to say he's the same little horn as in 7, but to say that they're both doing the same kinds of things, right? So the little horn, which points forward to the Antichrist, who we see, say, in the office of the paper. Uh, persecuting Christians, setting themselves up in the place of God, et cetera, et cetera. All of these different one-to-one scenarios, we see that happening with this guy, and we'll see it continue to happen long after um, after we're gone, as antichrists continue to make their stand against God.
1: And 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 the um, you know earlier you were talking about the fact that that now our church is thinking, well, we need to make ourselves more attractive. And that's how we're going to draw people to us uh, and, and hinted that probably is not going to be a successful procedure because, frankly, we don't have a lot to offer people <laughs> in terms of worldly standards. See, right. uh, when, when the Roman Catholic Church was big and prominent, when, when when Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire, same thing. Well, that's a very appealing thing, because if you want to get ahead in the world, well, then you better be a Christian. And so it was in the United States. Uh, my, my wife talked about growing up in Michigan, and if, if when you went to church, if you saw someone's car sitting in their driveway, well, that you looked down on those people. No, no, those weren't good people because they weren't going to church. Well, we have nothing to offer like that anymore. There's no political or our uh, uh, economic advantage to being a Christian. But but see, that's the truth, isn't it, Phil? Uh, that That's why Christianity actually I think prospers during times of persecution because then we understand oh it's a matter of faith it's a matter of believing we might not get any rewards at all here in this world, although we know the Lord will take care of us in this world but it it's all about uh what we get through jesus christ and and through faith, so I know a lot of people are kind of uh, uh they feel bad about the present situation of Christianity, but I'm thinking, I think that the situation is much better for Christianity than it was maybe when I was a little boy in the 50s, where it just, Christianity was a cultural thing. It's what everybody did. Whether you believed it or not, it really didn't matter. It's just, you went to church. And now I think people are going to go to church because, yeah, it It is something they believe it, uh, both in terms of their faith and also in terms of then how we're going to treat people, going to treat people in love, which obviously is something we really, really need in our country right now. Uh, We we need to start treating people differently. Uh, And that'll be the fruit that'll flow out of Christianity if, if we don't mess it up by putting it all back on ourselves. Because uh, that was the other thing that struck me about all these things that were you, you read that twice about it. It wasn't the human that did it. No, no. And that's everything here that's going on. that seems like it's so much the human power. Oh, there it is. But not with his power, it said, uh, and not by his own power, It repeats in verse 24. To be able to see that even behind Antiochus Epiphanes, or Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, however that's supposed to be pronounced, no, no, this no, this is God at work. Isn't that crazy? Even in this horrible, terrible man who is seemingly defaming God and, and ending the proper worship of God. Uh, the Lord could be working in that, and yet that's exactly what the Scripture teaches.
0: Well, and we see that elsewhere, too. We see Jesus looking at Pilate and reminding him that even uh, he has an authority above him, perhaps first the emperor, but ultimately God. And so, yeah, God is behind these things, even when it appears evil to us, or is evil by human standards, God can use even that which is meant for evil for good, also found elsewhere in Scripture. And when it comes to the current state of the church, there's really no evidence that believers are abandoning the church in mass, which is kind of the narrative that the world wants you to think, right? People are giving up on the church. They, uh, the, the category of none that is non-believers in anything are, is, is skyrocketing. They're the largest denomination so-called in the world. And as you so rightly pointed out, being a Christian in the 50s and 60s even is a cultural thing. You know, if you want to be an upstanding member of your community, you have to be a member of a church. If you're a businessman, you have to be a member of a church so people can say, hey, this guy's a good businessman. When I was um, – when my grandfather passed away, I don't know if I've shared the story or not, but when my grandfather passed away, he used to work at R.J. Reynolds Tobacco Company down in Winston-Salem, where I'm from. And uh, he was getting my – he wanted to get my dad a job there, and my dad had just married my mom. And so he wrote a letter of recommendation to the big bosses there at RJR, and uh, I found this letter, I guess written in the 80s, and it said, um, just so you you know, Ken's a good, upstanding Christian. He goes to church. He studies the Bible. These are the things that he's putting in this letter to commend my dad to the bosses at RJ Reynolds Tobacco Company. Now, I don't know if it held any weight even in the 80s when it was written but it certainly wouldn't hold any weight today. So what's happening to the church is that the people who were going to church for reasons other than faith now no longer have those external motivations. So I compare it to a sauce, right? When you make a sauce, you have to reduce the sauce. And so the volume of the liquid boils out, but the sauce that remains is that much more potent. So churches are smaller, but there's so much more faithful and potent the people in there because the people who are there are there for the right reasons, and I think that should bring us comfort.
1: And I, I agree with you completely, Phil, and, and that's that's why I find it encouraging now because uh, what we have then are the people that that for for them it really meant something, and that's why they were coming—not for anything they would get out of it. Well, they came because they knew they were sinners and they're wrestling with it day in and day out. They see that reality in their anger, their selfishness, their, their doubt. And they're coming because they, they, they want to be rem- reminded. They want to hear again that, but God still loves you and God forgives you and God is working through all of these struggles and trials that you have. So, absolutely, I, I think this is it's, it's a hard time for pastors and churches. Because it's a hard time because the the support isn't there that was there when I, I I was a pastor and and I feel for the fellow who replaces me who is just the finest guy Pastor Bittner and yet church membership is declining of course I I would point out to him and said well the community is declining we don't have people that we used to have so it's not it's not just you it's it's what's going on all around so you got less people plus the people that are there are less likely to have any cultural pressure to go but but and he said this he said but the the faithful are still there and and that's the point yeah they are uh so it it's it's and and that's the whole point of this whole chapter mm-hmm. that sometimes it looks like the devil is winning and and maybe in a certain standard he is but but no it's like you said it's just god getting rid of the people who really weren't part of the church anyway. Just making it all more obvious and clear uh, what what it is. Um,
0: Even when the devil wins, right, air quotes, um, that's being all guided by God, right? It's for a purpose. Um, And so God's not out of control. And I think that's another thing people must understand. It's not as though Satan, our accuser, is like the bad God, and God is the good God, and there's this constant fight between good and evil, Uh, Satan is very powerful when compared to us, but absolutely nothing when compared to God. And so God wins at the end, and that's the message of all of Daniel, but even here. And so we see here, kind of going back a little bit, with this Antiochus guy, you know, he, he overthrows the temple as predicted, as prophesied by Daniel, he he has these unholy uh, idols worshipped there, and it says it happens for twenty three hundred evenings and mornings. As I said earlier, you know some scholars have been able to connect that to the length of time that this happened until he actually uh, died. But even with all of that said, um, we have here uh, the the festival of Hanukkah coming out of this, something that we Christians don't really <laughs> celebrate. Some do. But we don't really celebrate because I don't think we have a good connection to what's going on here in what we call the intertestamental period. We know a lot about it from the apocryphal book, uh, First and Second Maccabees, uh, but not so much from uh, the canonical Bible that we normally read. So do you want to talk anything at all about Hanukkah and maybe talk to people about what kind of what that's about?
1: Well, so 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 the whole business about Hanukkah. So we go back to this uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, who has come in and and just basically put an end to, to the temple. Which, of course, that's where God dwells. And, and now suddenly Zeus is dwelling in the temple, and and, and he's totally desecrated the temple. Uh, but but we have the uh, um, help me out here. I can't remember the names of the the the, 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 the Jewish people, the the, the great oh. Jewish leader. Oh, um...
0: Well, we put each other on the spot, but I can't remember either. But I bet I'll remember. I can't,
1: Oh minutes. well. Come on. And once and someone would say both of us. Oh, of course. Well, anyway. So, so this great Jewish leader rises, <laughs> and, and again, totally outnumbered. There's no reason that he, he should have anything against this horn. That, but but he does. They they totally defeat them. They rout them. They run them out. And and so now they have to have this festival to to rededicate the temple because the temple has been it's been made impure. So we have to we have to purify. We have to cleanse it. Uh, and, and the whole business with Hanukkah is, is they don't have enough oil to do that. <laughs> there's not enough to keep the lights going, as it were. <laughs> and maybe the same thing that churches are wrestling with now, we're not getting enough offerings to keep the electricity on. But somehow miraculously, even though there's not enough oil, there is enough oil to keep the candles burning until the end of the celebration, until the temple is finally completely purified and they can begin doing the sacrifices and everything that God commanded them. Uh, and, and that is a chief festival uh, that uh, they have. And if I recall, it usually happens about the same time we're celebrating Christmas, which is kind of a nice uh, irony. But it, it it's a beautiful testimony to the fact that, again, God not only defeats the bad, but he also takes care of the good. And even though it seems like we don't have enough resources, and I know that's what the church is feeling like right now. Our churches are too small. We don't have enough people. But trust me, we have enough to do what God wants us to do. Now, the problem is, Phil, we don't have enough to do what we want to do. And maybe that's the right. problem all along that our picture of the church as being this big, powerful institution that can say, well, you know, you better do this and you better do that because think of all the people we have in our church. No, that's not really what God was looking for <laughs> from the start. You know, he was just looking for this little flock, he calls it, that is faithful to him and who, who loves God and loves their neighbor. And maybe that's been the problem all along, you know, that the church wants to be something that it isn't, which is this great, powerful, worldly uh, thing. And it isn't. It is always a thing of faith. Uh, so,
0: Right, exactly. So, you know, I I think every time the church has tried to Rule, according to the right hand realm uh, in in you know according to the law, according to the 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 area that God has not given it, it goes astray, and you're hundred percent right um Mattathias, by the way, is the guy in Maccabees there I, we go uh, I just remembered having almost nothing to do with my googling so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of that joke of the pastor who you know he's writing his sermon and and he's writing it, and he says, as everybody knows, and then he flips over to somewhere in Isaiah. In Isaiah 16, it says, you know, it's like, no, you didn't know either. You had to look it up. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, but in any, in any case, we do have this, this just amazing connection with history from Daniel's predictions. It's, it's supplemented by what we receive in the Apocrypha. It's supported by what we've found in history and in archaeology. And so that's why i think daniel chapter 8 is a very fascinating and relevant text for us today because while our faith is not based on evidence evidence or apologetics is such a a boon to christians who are constantly being attacked by the world for being anti-historical and mythological and unscientific and here we can go and we can say look i know you're going to explain it away best you can but here is even evidence that i want you to think about for the possibility of God's Scripture being just what it is, God's Scripture. And that's not going to bring anybody to faith, but it might break down some barriers that gives us the opportunity to witness to them.
1: And, 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 you know, Phil, see, I'm really glad you mentioned that, because that's—and again, that's the (laughs) picture— We need to understand that the world is trying to give us their vision of what's going on. And, and we need to remember uh, that the only true vision is the vision we're given in Scripture. So you already alluded to the fact that the world wants to give us the vision that the church is getting weaker and is insignificant. And that's absolutely not true. The church is just being the church that God always determined it to be, which is not a great worldly power. That's not what we're here for. We have a power far greater. because, Because you pointed out earlier, what happened to Alexander the Great? He died. (laughs) And trust me, whatever worldly leader you're following now, someday Putin is going to die. That's the big disadvantage of being a worldly prince. And we have something that will be eternal. But it occurred to me, too, this whole vision that the church is anti-scientific and anti-history. And the fact is, no, most of the great scientific things that happened in history were done by Christians. We have always been concerned about history. We wanted, and, and, And the more you study science, the more you study history, or you realize no what the bible is revealing it, it, it's true it's true now now it is also true that sometimes again in our foolishness we try to press things that that were true because they weren't you know i mean at one point the church says well of course you know the the earth has to be the center of the universe well the bible doesn't teach that right <laughs> that was something that that people made up and said that's what the Bible teaches. So that that's a danger. We gotta be careful, we don't say more than what the Bible says and claim it's God's revelation. But on the other hand, on other side that somehow we're no, we 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 are the leaders of the historical studies. We are the leaders, or were at least, of the scientific study. And, and in fact, I think if we if we if we would do want to repress the world, that's what we need to get back into. You know, don't let the world push us out of these vocations because there are good, fine Christians who can do all these things, and they are doing them even as you and I speak. Uh, but, of course, they don't get any publicity that, 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 no. because, darn it, we're so humble. <laughs> That's the other problem. There's we just go about to that, and do to what honest. God gives us to do. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry, well, i tell you what,
0: we're going to have to leave it at that. I'm afraid we're yeah. up against the end of our time. So I'd like to thank my guest, the Reverend John Lecomsky, Pastor Emeritus and co-host of Wrestling with the Basics. Catch him on KFUO Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. Pastor, thank you for being on the show. Thank you, Phil. I'll talk to you again on November 8th when we get into Exodus. You're the very first one. So thank you too, dear listener, for tuning in to Thy Strong Word. I've been your host, Pastor Phil Boo. Tomorrow we delve into chapter 9, a fascinating account where Daniel discovers in the prophet Jeremiah's writings that God's people would only be exiled for 70 years, and time is almost up. So tune in to find out what happens. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong word.